You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. We are finishing our revival series uh, with a message entitled, Don't Do Ministry for Jesus Without Intimacy with Jesus. Anybody guilty of that? Doing ministry, doing ministry for Jesus without intimacy with Jesus. Today we're gonna look at the final book of the New Testament. And contrary to popular opinion, it's not called Revelations. I always get a kick out of that. Sorry, he said, turn to Revelations. It's actually one revelation that God gave to John as he peeled back the, the veil of reality and let him peer into the supernatural world in order to see the future in a sense. And so I wanna show you what he says. And the reason I want us to study this in Revelation chapter two is John is going to point out an issue in the church that I think every one of us needs to address in our own life in order to avoid losing intimacy with Jesus and worse, seeing our church die and dissolve. And I know that's a harsh statement, but hear me, you're gonna see that in the church of Ephesus. And we don't know if they heeded the warning or rejected the warning, but you're gonna see that in the book of Revelation chapter two. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter two, final book in the New Testament. And we like to say word when we get there at Long Hollow. Anybody excited to study the word today? Anybody excited to be here today? Anybody? Okay. I'm fired up to preach. I, don't know about, I told him last service, I don't even know why he brought the stool out. I hadn't used the stool since last year. I don't, know, I, I don't know if I'm too fired up to preach or the back's feeling good, but regardless. Anybody else fired up to be here? Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, I had somebody tell me a couple weeks ago, they said, we just moved from New Jersey, visited churches in town. What we settled on Long Hollow is because when we came in the building, we said, whatever these people have, we want. And I thought, wow, it's just a testimony to the hunger of our people. I mean, you guys are hungry for the word of God. Yeah, praise the Lord. You clap for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. It's the first warning to the seven churches. And uh, this is what the angel of the Lord says to the church at Ephesus, that's key. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here's what he says, I know your works. Now, I, I was initially going to unpack all nine of these, but because of time, and I wanna spend a lot of time at the end, I'm gonna let you do that yourself. But you can see and you can circle them Jesus is gonna commend them for nine good things. Number one, I know your works. Number two, I know your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not false prophets in the church. And you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered. I've watched you endure hardships for the sake of my name and you have not grown weary. So at this point, nine things they're doing well, and then he's gonna give them one negative indictment, which really almost negates everything else. But I have this one thing against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and return and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you, and this is sobering. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let's pray as we begin uh, this morning. Father, we, we need to hear from you. We need to hear your voice. 
We need to be sensitive to your spirit. And so I pray you speak through me as I speak to your people and that we will respond to obey your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Uh, That's a frightening statement, you have to be honest. That Jesus says to the church, if you don't do this, if you don't return, if you don't repent, I'm gonna remove your lampstand, which basically what he's saying is, I'm gonna take away the very lifeblood that keeps your church alive. I'm gonna take away the power for the church. I'm gonna remove my presence from the church and your life. And if you're like me, as I was reading this week, We want to do anything humanly possible to avoid this, amen? I believe this is why churches dissolve, this is why churches plateau, this is why churches ultimately die. Many of us know churches from our youth, churches in the past that were once thriving for the Lord and now have no power, no presence of God within. And so let's look at what he says of how to avoid that. Before we get to the really crux of the message, let me start with, Kind of an introductory remark. John says to us, number one, God knows everything. God knows everything that you and I do. God is an accountant and he has every box filled in. He never misses anything in our life. In fact, he says this church of Ephesus was a busy church. They were doing a lot of outward things for God. Nine things to be exact. Turkeyanity Today, which is where Ephesus was located. Turkeyanity Today was reporting on the church growth of the church. Uh, the Turkey Times Free Press said, man, they are really, that's two jokes, by the way. They are really, I mean, the baptisms are overwhelming. The convention reporting of the attendance is up and to the right. You should see the building campaign that they're in. I mean, everything this church is doing was amazing. Not to mention, they had an up-and-coming pastor who was actually discipled by Paul himself named Timothy. That's the church of Ephesus. I say that to say that every church in the region wanted to be this church. This was the church that every church looked to. And what happens is Paul or John is gonna say, but they had one problem in the church. They did all of these things right, but they had one problem in the church. They did it all without me. They didn't love me. In a sense, what he's saying is you guys have gotten off track. You forgot your first love. I want you to imagine saying this to the Lord. I want you to imagine going to the Lord and saying, you know what, Jesus, I come to church and as much as I can. And when the offering is asked for, I may give some money at the basket on the way out. I may text 9817 or 9817. I don't even know because honestly, I don't give often. So anyway... That's you, no, that's me, I do. Well, that's true, that, that is me, because I don't give ever, candy give. But anyway, I never give. 98173, that's the number, golly. Yeah, I never give, candy give. But anyway, <laughs> which is true. How many guys, amen? You don't give, the wife, you're right. Thank God for our wives, amen? We'd have no reward in heaven. But anyway, anyway, it's true. Sadly, we never, we, 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 we get in the city, we say we give a little bit, God, and we serve when we can, and we show up when we can, and man, we volunteer if we need it in the parking lot, and we'll help with the kids when someone's asked upon us. But by the way, Jesus, what if you said this to him? Jesus, I don't love you anymore. I mean, think of that. Would you ever say that to the Lord? See, what Jesus is showing us here in this text is that every relationship in life Every relationship in this world, including our relationship with God, is built upon love. 
You have to have a relationship built on love. Now, we don't know what happened to the church of Ephesus, but we do know this, that you never hear, you're gonna, you're gonna be blown away by this, you never hear any mention of the church of Ephesus after the book of Revelation. It dissolves into the annals of history. And I don't know if they rejected the words of Jesus or accepted it, but the reality is we don't know. And here's what I think John is getting at. The, the apostle is showing us through the words of Jesus, he's saying, do not let your activity overshadow your affection for Jesus. Don't let the busyness of serving overshadow the intimacy with a person. He would say, don't get in the habit of looking at your Christianity as a duty you have to fulfill and not a devotion to God for what he's done for you. We are encouraged today to know that God sees everything, not only good, but he also sees the bad, which is what he says in the text, we need to return to him. Number two is this, God receives, write this down, everyone who returns to him. God receives everyone who returns to him. Look what he says in verse four. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Now here's what he does. He's gonna give a threefold process, three steps in order to return to God. Number one, notice and remember how far you have fallen, number one. Number two, Repent, very simply. Number three, look what he says. Do the works you did at what? First, so it's a threefold process. He says, otherwise I will come to you and remove you or remove your lampstand from its place unless you what? Unless you repent. He's gonna give us three steps. Number one is this, write this down, remembrance. There has to be a remembrance of where you were and where you are. Now, our boys now are 12 and 14, and I think they've done this for a couple of years. But at night, they'll say, like, like Candy was out of town this weekend, uh, speaking somewhere, and so it was the boys, and every time Candy's out of town, they sleep in the bed with me. Anybody do this? Candy thinks I'm crazy, but not both of them. One sleeps on the floor, and they have mattresses, and maybe one in the bed. But anyway, anybody do this with the kids? So my, like, and when we get in the bed, right for bed, they wanna, they wanna hear a story. Like, Dad, tell us a story when you were younger. And I say, okay, what kind of story? Tell us the time you beat somebody up. I'm like, I'm not telling, I'm not talking about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't even want to remember that stuff, you know? <laughs> That's all I want to hear. <laughs> but, but when we go out to dinner with Candy and the boys, which we, we, we do on Friday nights, we, we talk about the past. And so on the way there, they'll say, tell us about you and mom meeting or tell us about other people in the past or tell us about when y'all first got married or tell us about early in ministry, tell us about this. And what I've been reminded of, when I talk about things like that with the boys, when I remember the past with Candy, it actually strengthens our marriage. Think about this. Because when you remember the things you used to do and where you've come from, it actually causes you to be aware of where you are presently. And it causes you to map out, am I growing closer together or are we drifting further apart? See, here's the reality. Remembrance, write this down, takes intentionality of time and effort and thought to determine where you are and to compare it to where you were. It's good to do that. The Bible talks about remembering all the time. See, we must remember where we used to be 
and compare it to where we are in order to determine if we've got to get back there. So the first thing he says is you need to remember. So remember, was there a time in the past when you were on, well, let me ask you this. Was there a time in your past when you used to be on fire for Jesus? Was there a time in your life when you used to be passionate about God? Brother, look at me. What happened? Sister, look at me. What happened? See, it's good for us to have this what I call check up from the neck up, right? Like we need somebody to say, hey, remember where you were, but don't just stay there. Number two, you need to repent and return. So you have this idea of remembrance, you have the idea of repentance. When we turn away from Christ, watch this, we must repent. That's what the word means. We recognize that we have focused on another thing and therefore when we focus on someone else or something else, our direction, don't miss this, will follow our focus. The question we ask ourselves is, what are we focused on now? Have you gotten off track? Have you veered off the course? Have you strayed away for what's important? Because our direction changes and that's why repentance is important. So here's the way repentance works. Repentance is basically how you're walking. So the question is, think about your life right now, and I don't know this, you do. Where are your feet pointing right now? And only you can answer this. Are you pointing toward Jesus? Or are you pointing toward the world, the flesh, or sin? I'll ask it another way. Would you admit that you have lost the love you once had for Christ? Would you be honest and say, hey, I lost the passion I had for Christ? Why? Because I'm focused on notoriety. I'm in love with comfort. I'm in love with possessions. I'm in love with money or fame or success or finances. Write this down. Here's an interesting way to think of it. What consumes your attention controls your affection. Write that down. What consumes your attention controls your affection. When our attention shifts from the direction of Jesus Christ away from him, that's why repentance is necessary. Now, here's what repentance is. Repentance is a turning around that starts with a change of mind, okay? So you have to, first of all, change your mind about the way you look at sin. See, the reason some of you have never gotten saved, look at me, is because you keep minimizing and justifying the thing in your life is not sin. This is not sin, what are you talking about? And as long as you do that, then you have no desire because you're in the reality uh, uh, that this is not a big deal. But the reality is repentance has to happen when you say, no, this is sin because this is what God says about it. And then once you change your mind, watch this, then you change your direction. Now the problem is many of us just make an about face and we never walk. This is not repentance. Young people look at me. Repentance is not, I'm convicted at night, I'm never gonna do it again. God, I confess that, I know you forgive me. And then the next day, you wake up and do it again. That's not repentance. That's remorse. That's guilt. 
Repentance is by the grace of God, I know this is sin and I'm gonna walk in his grace to never do this again. Not because of what it's gonna do to me, but because of what I'm doing to a holy God. See, here's what repentance does, which is so amazing. Repentance, true repentance, cleanses us from all unrighteousness in our life. It gives us a clear mind, a clear conscience. It takes away the backpack and the burden of sin on our life, and it lets us walk in victory. We live the abundant life Christ promised. Now, and I know in a group this size, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And I was thinking this morning, I was praying with my prayer team this morning, it just hit me that that one of the reasons, and this is just a sidebar to the message, one of the reasons some of you have never truly surrendered your life to Christ is because you are too worried about what someone else would think of you if you took a stand in this place for Jesus. So the reason you haven't been born again or saved, now I'm not saying publicly standing saves a person, but I do know that if you're ashamed to stand publicly in this place, The Bible says that Jesus, when he gets before his father and the angels of heaven, will be ashamed to say you're one of his. Here's what I want you to think. If you can't stand in here surrounded by friends, folks, you'll never stand out there surrounded by the world. See, some of you guys, look at me. Ladies, look at me. The reason you aren't standing for Christ when the invitation is given to be saved is because you're too worried about being humiliated. Like, I don't want to stand in front of these people. And I was just thinking this morning, the Lord brought this to mind. How dare we think that way? We serve a risen Savior who went to the cross naked and hung for our sin and was humiliated so we could have life. Amen? How dare we not stand for him, profess our faith in him? Psalm 23. Four, chapter three, so 20, chapter 24, verse three says this. How do we ascend? How do we come into the presence of God? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? It is he that has clean hands and a pure heart. He or she who has not lifted their soul to falsity or, or deceitfully. Watch this. Who has not uh, uh, appealed? Uh, appeal to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully. And so basically what he's saying is this. This is a person who has repented thoroughly of their sin. Here's the question. Look at me. When was the last time you repented of everything you could think of and didn't rush the process? When was the last time you didn't try to get through repentance as a checklist before God? Friends, if you truly want to see transformation, here's what I want you to get. You need to let godly sorrow have its way to do a healing work in your soul. You need to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to have its way in your heart. That the Holy Spirit starts to work in your heart and you don't want to rush the process. Now, that's not the only thing he says. He says you need to remember where you strayed from. Number two, you need to repent of what you've done. And number three, you need to rededicate yourself back to God. It's an interesting concept. He says you need to have rededication. Rededication to what? He says, do the works you first did. Do you see it? Return to the works you first did. Now, the natural question becomes, what are the works, right? Well, John, what are you saying? Jesus, what are you saying? That we should 
serve more? No. That we should give more money to the church? Not in this case, although we would appreciate. I don't give, but I've heard of people who do. But <laughs> That means I should go on more mission trips? Not in this case, no. That means you should worship more? No. That means you should pray more? No. That means you should read your Bible more? No. What John is saying, Jesus is saying through John is, the works that you used to do was you need to love more. That's what he's saying. You need to return to your first love. You need to love more. I want you to get this, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I know it's a foreign concept because it's hard to see it from the outside, but when you fall in love with Jesus, it changes everything. Am I right? Everything, everything in your life. Do you remember when you used to date your spouse and uh, you spent hours on the phone with him? Remember that? Now you can't even talk at the dinner table to him. <laughs> you listen to me? No, I'm not listening. You used to write, used to write cards to him, long letters, compose poems, love poems. Candy found some old poems recently. She's like, look, you used to write me poems. I said, that was before I got you and we got married. I don't need to write. <laughs> Once you catch a fist, there's no need to go back to the pond with the Lord. I, mean, right? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Maybe I did. But anyway, that's, that's exactly what it's like. But I mean, you know, I mean, it's the long gazing into your eyes. You know, it's, it's uh, the holding hands in public. It's the cuddling on a couch, right? It's spending long periods of time in a car on a trip together, just talking, buying gifts you couldn't afford with money you didn't have. Remember that, right? Borrowing money for a wedding ring. Could I get an amen for that? I mean, it's like, you remember those times. And I think that's exactly the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. See, that kind of love, if you think about it, is a reckless kind of love, right? It's an extravagant kind of love. It's an abundant kind of love. It's a selfless kind of love. It's a crazy kind of love. And as I said earlier, when you fall in love with Jesus, it changes everything for you. Now, let me, let me speak to the Christian for a moment. Those who would profess and say, I'm a believer. When was the last time you spent a day alone with Jesus? or even a few hours, or even a few minutes alone with Jesus. When was the last time you read the Bible? Not for information about a passage, but for intimacy with a person named Jesus. When was the last time you lifted up songs of praise during worship out of heartfelt devotion to God rather than your weekly duty because you have to, because I'm here. When was the last time you came and bowed on your knees before God and cried out to him and said, God, give me mercy. Would you give me mercy? When was the last time you went to your coworker at work or your classmate at school and you told them and gave testimony about what God was doing in your life, not because you had to, but because you were so overwhelmed with the grace of God, you couldn't help but not to do it, right? When was the last time you did that? Let me ask it this way. Have you lost your first love? Let me say it a little harsher. Have you fallen out of love with Jesus? No, I'm asking you personally. Have you fallen out of love with Jesus? Because what Jesus tells us is it's very possible to do a lot of great things for me and do it all without intimacy with me. 
couple questions to think about, I thought this week. Is it possible to worship as a believer apart from the presence of God? Yes. Is it possible to serve on mission in the community and overseas without the power of God? Yes. Is it possible to preach and teach the word without the spirit of God? Yes. That's what John is showing. That's what Jesus is showing. Is it possible to have Christianity without Christ? And so I want to give us a few diagnostic questions to determine if we're there. And I want you to write these down. You take pictures of the screen. You go back online if you want. You can write them down. But these are a couple diagnostic questions to determine if you are out of love with Jesus, if you've lost your fervor, if you've gotten off course. Number one, remember when you first got saved. Remember the passion, the discipline, the fervor for the things of God. How long has it been since you felt like that? Number two, think about spiritual markers in your Christian life. Times when you can look back and say, man, this is when God moved. or This was a mountaintop experience. This was a life-changing moment. Think about those markers. Did you have a greater passion for God then than you do now? Number three, are you loving Jesus with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? If no, then why not? And the third question is, what's in the way of that? What's in the way of that? Number four, what is a priority over Jesus in your life right now? What is my, and listen, by the way, these are questions that God took me this week to the mat over. Because I had to wrestle myself, and, and I'm not there, I'll be honest with you, but I, but I told the Lord, so I, wanna be, I wanna be the person who goes after you the hardest, that I, I wanna be the person who seeks you more than anybody I know. I want more of you than anything in this world. And the Lord started to convict me of my own heart. I'm not there, but it's questions to ask yourself. What is vying for your time and your affection and for your attention? Let me say it again. I said it at the beginning. Do not fall into the trap of doing ministry for Jesus apart from intimacy with Jesus. You know, someone who had intimacy with Jesus was a 15-year-old Aaliyah Brooks. She, uh, she was a student at Liberty Creek. Uh, she was a cheerleader. And uh, she was a follower of Jesus. Her parents uh, and, and Aaliyah are members of Long Hollow. And on Friday, you may have heard the news, uh, they were out clearing debris and a tree came down and hit her and they brought her to the hospital. And boy, she was a fighter. Someone said this, this young girl was so disciplined, she'd wake up at a certain time in the morning and she would train and work out and she was in the word and she would quote scripture and memorize scripture and I mean, she was a fighter. They said she fought for over a day, and then last night they, they watched her pass on from this life and go to be with the Lord. And as I talked to friends and family members, they said, you know, one thing about Alexis, she always wanted to leave a legacy. She wanted everyone around her to know Jesus. In fact, she would quote scripture. They said she had scripture memorized. It was on the outside of her binder at school. She had scripture written on her binder. And 
just had a passion for people knowing Jesus. I got, I got a quote from her journal. And she said, I mean, this is amazing. She's still speaking to us today. She said, today, I believe resilience and adversity produces grit. And even in the darkest hour, I love this, profound. I take deep breaths, reminding myself to inhale faith and exhale fear. Whenever I pause to visualize the next moment, I optimistically center my thoughts on being confident. Under, under any circumstances, I praise God for sustaining me through my numerous hardships. Folks, I want you to get this. The sustaining power that helped her navigate every hardship up to this point is her relationship with Jesus. And for those who are new to Long Hollow, let me give you a history of how God has used the passing of young men previously still in school to spark a revival with our students. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this, God has used three young men through the years. He used first Paul Holloway years ago in 2000, 2001. And then he used the passing of Nathan Johnson prematurely. And then a few years later, right when we got here, Coleman Midget. And one of the things these boys had in common was that every single one of them was sold out to Jesus. They loved Jesus. And one of them even said, I would I'd give my own life so that my friends would know Jesus. And I don't know God's plan. And maybe when we get to heaven, he'll share it with us. And I don't understand why he would take someone so young, but I do know that God is going to get glorified through all of it. And with the other three boys, I know this, that the students I've talked to, some on staff now, they said two things happened when these boys died. Number one is I had to come face to face with my own mortality. That I was not gonna live forever and I'm not promised tomorrow. See, when you're young, you think I have tomorrow, I can wait. And number two is they said we had to come to the, to the agreement that we had to decide if Jesus was real and this gospel was for eternity. And I either was gonna accept it or reject it. And I wanna show you something. Those three boys' deaths sparked a revival through the campuses around our community. And I can't help but think that God is gonna use this girl's life and passing to spark a movement among the students and the parents in our community. Friends, knowing that she knows Jesus doesn't make the pain go away. But it does give us hope for tomorrow to know where she is because of who she knew. See, we have hope because we know that she knew Jesus, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the question I believe, if she were here, she would ask you the same question I want to ask you. Do you know Jesus? We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you a simple question. And it's going to be a simple question I want to ask you, and, and I'm going to ask it to, to, to the men in the group and the women and the students in the group. And here's the question I'm going to ask you. Would you like to be saved today? Would you like to be saved today? And I'm going to do it with every head op up and every eye open and no low lights and the light's still on, I'm gonna ask you right now, would you like to be saved today? 
And I don't know where you are, but you do. And I'm gonna ask you right now, don't put off tomorrow what needs to be done today. I'm gonna ask you right now, just stand right where you are. Just right where you are. You don't have to say a word. I'm just gonna ask you to stand. Would you like to be saved, brother? Thank you. Is there another one? I don't know where you are, but I know in a group this size, there are some who would say, I don't know Jesus. I know who he is, but I don't think he knows me. Thank you, brother. Is there another? Sister, would you like to be saved? Just stand right where you are if you're in the balcony. Praise God. If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. That's what the Bible says. Anyone else? Pastor, I'd like to be safe today. Would you just stand right where you are? Thank you, sister. Is there another one? Pastor Robbie, I want to be saved today. Thank you. Praise God. People standing all over. Anyone else? Just stand right where you are. Thank you, sister. Praise God. Anyone else? Don't miss this moment. You, the, if you don't come when he calls, you may not come at all. And I'm telling you, when you stand before the Lord, the last thing you want to say is, I thought I had time. I thought I had time. If you can't stand in this place surrounded by friends, I promise you, you'll never stand outside of this place. Thank you, sister. Is there another one? You might have been in church your whole life, but you don't know Jesus, and Jesus doesn't know you. And so today's the day. You're going to get it right today before God. Anyone else? Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Praise God. Anyone else? In the balcony? Thank you, sister. You've been putting this off for far too long. What I know about God is he never grows tired of running after you. You can run for a while, but you can't run forever. I know that. Can anybody attest to that? Amen? You run for a while. Today's the day for you. What are you waiting for? One moment longer. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. If you're standing, would you look at me for a moment? I'm going to ask you to come. I want to pray over you personally. A blessing, a prayer of blessing, a prayer of anointing, uh, a, a prayer of commitment to Christ. So brother, would you just come? If you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you, I promise. Sister, would you come and just stand here in the front? We're gonna pray for you. Yeah, let's praise the Lord for those who are coming. Amen. You come, y'all come here. Praise God, if you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Yeah, praise the Lord, amen. Praise the Lord, amen, amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna, we're gonna pray over these men and women and uh, we're gonna just believe, thank you for coming. We're just gonna believe that God's gonna do a work in their life that uh, even if he told them, uh, they wouldn't believe it. I'm just telling you, when you surrender to Jesus, even though you don't know everything, I, I tell people when I got saved, I didn't know the Bible, but I took as much faith as I had and I put it in as much of Jesus as I knew, which was very little, but it was enough to be saved because Jesus looks at our heart, right? And if you have a genuine desire to be saved, he will save anybody, the Bible said. So I'm gonna ask you to come, praise God. Those are still coming from the balcony and if you just feel led to come, you come today, praise God. Praise God. Hey, I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do when uh, pastor asked me to do this very similar thing 20 years ago, 20 years ago in November is when I surrendered my life to Christ. And I'm just gonna tell you, when people saw me back then, they had written me off. They had said, this, this boy has damaged goods. He had stolen from his parents. He had, 
He was a drug addict and alcoholic. What good can anything come from his life 20 years ago? And I'm telling you, God can do more in a moment in your life than you can ever imagine. So we're gonna pray for you and I think others are coming. So as the others come, let me just pray over us. And would you bow with me, church? We're gonna extend a hand and just thank God for these men and women who've come and it's a big deal to do this. And so we don't wanna minimize this. Father, we thank you so much. And if you've come forward, would you just cry out to the Lord in the quietness of your own heart and just say something like this, God, I know, I know I've sinned against you and I know I've run from you for a long time. But I ask and confess right now that you would wash away my sin. I ask that you fill me, say this to the Lord, ask it, you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I know that you are my savior and I deserve hell and I deserve death, but you took it upon yourself so I wouldn't have to. And Father, we pray for these men and women who have come forward. This is a big deal for them, God, to take a stand in this place. But we know, God, you're honored by obedience. And so we thank you for what you're doing, God. We pray, God, you would save them. You take away the shame and the guilt. We pray, we pray you take away the burden of sin that's on their back, God, and you fill them and anoint them with the Holy Spirit of God. That when they get home or they go out tomorrow to, to work, people would say, what is different about you? What happened? And they would say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our life. We ask it in the only name we know how, and that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said,